to the Track and Food Podcast. You're joining us on another lovely Monday today. My name is Jamie Mon. I'm your host as always. Today, sitting in front of me with a big goofy smile is my co-host, Mickey McLeod. How are you doing? You sound so Mickey? professional. I'm great. How are you? What's going on? Do I sound professional? You do, yeah. I think it's because I'm drinking a really delicious cocktail right now. It's, you are right now, It's yeah, putting yeah. me in a very nice, cozy mood. It's uh-huh. It's a nice, beautiful fall day today. We've had some good weather recently. Sunny. And uh, I'm drinking a cocktail with some rosemary, so that Ah, that always makes me very happy. Mm, Delicious. But uh, again, I asked you, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm pretty happy. I think you're pretty happy too. A couple of announcements to get out of the way, out of the gate here. We just came from a big festival. Uh, we well, okay, yeah, two announcements, I suppose. Uh, We just came from a little festival called Desert Days in Moreno Valley. Paris Lake, and uh, we Cal- survived. In California. I survived. In California, you survived. Barely. We thought about maybe doing an entire music episode, which maybe we will, maybe we won't. I don't know. Usually we talk about basketball a lot. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But maybe music next time. And who are some of the artists we saw? So, well, that's a little sore point for me because the only reason people listening to this podcast, anyone knows me, you know, my favorite artist right now is a, a lovely, talented gentleman from, from Osaka, Japan, Shintaro Sakamoto. The only fucking reason I went to that festival, well, along with Stereo Lab. And then we found out the day of that he fucking couldn't make it because the floods in Tokyo. Man, I was so bummed. And, I already bu- and I'd already bought my uh, Shintaro Sakamoto. And you had the poster, poster which you're framing for me, by the way. But other than that, the great bands uh, Black Angels, Stereo Lab, Wu Tang Clan played. Krongbin was fucking unbelievable. Krongbin filled my cup to the fullest it's ever been. And I just, I was. So full of joy. But who was the band that actually blew you away? The one that I was telling you going into it that was going to blow you away. Oh, <laughs> you fucking. I called it. Uh, so I saw Frankie and the Witchfingers. I don't know if you know them. And they're coming uh, here to Vancouver on November 17th. They were, they were my sort of sneaky, like third favorite band. And what was I doing during that show? Uh, going ballistic in the mosh pit, which I was looking from afar. <laughs> that was great. We had a lot of fun. And the other important announcement that I want to make is... Our little old podcast, Track and Podcast, that you all listeners have supported and given us so much love throughout the last sort of almost two years, has made it into Vancouver, the second annual Vancouver Pod Fest, which is the weekend of November 7th to 10th. Jamie Ma will be speaking, speaking on a panel on Friday. What time? Uh, 2 p.m. 2 p.m. at the Vancouver Public Library. Is that right? Yes. Vancouver Public Library downtown, 2 p.m. Jamie Ma and his beautiful hair will be speaking on a panel of podcast experts. I'm using air quotes, but you can't see because it's a podcast. Um, and myself will be speaking on Sunday at 11 a.m. at the same venue, the Vancouver Public uh, Library. So we're super pumped to get our podcast in. Pretty fucking cool. I don't know. Maybe it would be fun. Maybe it won't. Who are some of the, who are some of the bigger podcasts that are going to be there? Oh yeah. So if you're interested in listening to this uh, and want to come uh, check either of our panels out, come check us out. That'd be lovely. We'd love to see you and we'd love the support. So if you're free, any of those times, come by. Check. It's a whole weekend of, of events, which is crazy. I didn't know how big it was this year. Uh, we tried to get in last year, but we missed the deadline. So it is basically the whole weekend at multiple venues throughout the city, Vancouver Public Library, SFU, UBC. The Rio, um, the Rio Theater. The Rio Theater. There's so much going on. And if you're into podcasting, if you like listening to podcasts, if you are just maybe interested in like starting your own podcast, come check it out. There's so many cool things happening in the city. Go to vanpodfest.ca and check out all the stuff. The main event, which I was just telling you guys off uh, mic, is the one and only Chuck D featuring the track Fight the Power on the podcast you may know of called Song Exploder. And they're doing a live episode 
uh, from the SFU campus. So that's going to be fucking super dope and super hype, even though Chuck D is kind of crazy these days, but whatever. Hey, don't disparage Chuck D. Are you kidding? I was on all, all those reality TV shows and like, fucking kind of lost his marbles, man. Well, yeah, but- Still super cool though. That's what happens when you hang out with Flavor Slave for how yeah. many years? Yeah, totally. Uh, so that's off. happening. Uh, we're super pumped. We're super excited. This episode definitely will be out before then. So if you want to support us more, come check us out and uh, send us some, maybe send us an email with some congratulatory wishes or something like that. Maybe some cat gifts, some animal gifts of some sort. And uh, yeah, that's it for the announcement portion. But we really should announce who we have on the show today. We got a pretty good one today, I think yeah. so. I think we got someone who's very Hot hands- off the presses. Yes. This man's had a, quite the year, actually. I'm a colleague of his. We, he's actually part of the Fairmont family. He just recently came back from Europe in the UK. Europe in... What was, he was, he doing over, what was he doing over there again? I think he was competing in some big competition called the World Class Global Final. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And right, I think he yeah. did pretty good. I think he did. I think he's what, I think he came number two in the world. Wow. Out of all, how many bartenders can beat this? 55 this year. 55, 55. And how many globally probably? Uh, I think they said something along the lines of 6,000. 6,000. Okay. So 6,000 bartenders competed in this. And these are pretty, some, if you're going to enter in this, the World Class Global Final, we've talked about this in the past with Rancini, who came fourth in 2014, and Je- uh, Chris Enns, who came who's the Canadian champion last year in 2017 or 2018, should I see? And, um, but yes, we are speaking today with none other than Jeff Savage of Botanist, who is a good friend of the podcast. You've known him for quite a while. I work with him at the hotel. What's up, bud? And, What's going on, guys? And we're very <laughs> excited to have him on today to talk about his experience coming second at the global final, mm-hmm. even though I want to rag on him for not winning, but even though <laughs> that's kind of... Hey, come dick. on now. Second's <laughs> pretty fucking already, good. Well, we're going to be calling, we're gonna, we, we, have, uh, we have another guest lined up this week that we're going to be bringing on and we're calling this week's second week because uh, his, he had another big week as well. Mm-hmm. Smiling through the pain right now, James. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're very proud of him. We're very proud to have him on. We're very excited. He's got a busy schedule. He's going to be flying out to Halifax tomorrow. So we're very uh, thankful that you came by today and you've also brought us a very delicious cocktail. So you will always be enamored in our hearts. It seems like this is a trend that our guests feel this, uh, this pain to one up each other. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which is pretty cool. We're okay with that. So we're, we're never going <laughs> to totally. complain, but Jeff is here. He's a, a native of Calgary. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. And, uh, just moved to Vancouver about what, two years ago, I'd say. Uh, about a year and three quarters, we'll say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. February so, last year, or two years ago. And he's been dominating. He also was one of the trio of, of winners who won the bulls around the world competition with uh, Max Curzon Price. Yes, congrats on that too. And Grant wow. they won that back in May, I think. Uh, June, June. Okay, yeah. so he's had a. Well, he, and he should have won the um, this a really illustrious. It's kind of more of an underground competition, the uh, Caesar <laughs> Train Cocktail Competition. Um, got robbed, man. Robbed. Best cocktail, best Caesar by far. Still hurts me to this day. <laughs> to this day, is that a competition? Me. I didn't know that was a competition. That's how we met. Uh, well, I know that's how you met, but I didn't know it was a competition. I'm like an expose. I don't know how you would describe well, that whole situation. Basically, the way they did it is they brought like. <laughs> five or six people from the States yeah. uh, to, to go on the Rocky Mountaineer and it was National Caesar Day. So they thought, well, yeah, I might as well get uh, the best Fairmont bartenders there are together. Uh, to, That's why I was there, obviously. obviously <laughs> made a vegan Caesar, obviously. Is that what you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Got to represent my vegan people, man. That's Come right. On. Fair enough. Um, well, yeah, and that's where we met. Uh, it was We're fell in love. a strange, we did fall in love, a strange, strange uh, day. A fun day, but a very strange day. Making Caesars on a, on a train. Caesars on a train, actually. It's like a strangers on a train kind of. Right? Yeah. yeah. There's no way you could get me to do that. I, yeah. Well, I had never been on the Rocky Mountaineer before, so that part was 
dope. It was really cool. It. It's hard on that. Like the cabins are kind of small. And it's tight, confined quarters. So I found that a little challenging. But afterwards, we went on. Did, we went on did Kelowna. It was great. You're usually like a flare bartender. Uh, yeah, usually like right? I'm spinning stuff. Like yeah. I couldn't. There's no way I could get a shaker up that. Like I would hit the ceiling. Like yeah, that's why you lost it. Do you even like Caesars? No, no. But you know, I like. I kind of like making them. You know, mine was fun. I had like uh, sharing him Akavit vodka and yeah. and uh i had uh my garnish was a cedar plank salmon so tiny like toasted uh cedar plank yeah it was like a, it was like it was like a man among boys like none of us had ever like i would never thought of even doing a cocktail competition in the first place and then it's like uh what was the drink that one it was like a mango sriracha mango sriracha yeah. and, and i mean he doesn't even work for the fairmont anymore by the way no I, it's Oshin. <laughs> Ocean, I think. I, it's, it's, it looks like man. ocean, but it's Irish, so yeah, nobody yeah. knows how to say it. Uh, yeah, it, it was very eye-opening. But I, I will say that when I when you were presenting, it did give me a, a, a interesting look into like actually like what how what, what a proper like cocktail presentation should be like. Uh, the rest of us are just like ah, so I use the botanist and uh, I'm <laughs> shake this up here, stir this. Hey, I learned ingredients. a lot. Too. I learned a lot from you guys. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, mutual then. at the end of the day, basically he's, what he's saying is you're the reason he won. One of the well at global. It's track and food bump. I yes, think Sean Layton got it. Yeah. You got it. There we are. Chris has got, got it. Yeah. It's a thing. Stealing it from Colbert. Yeah. Is that if Colbert? that's okay. Is that a Colbert thing? Colbert bump. Yeah. Yeah. From oh. his show. I don't really watch that show. Um, well, anyways, we're very thankful for you coming here today. You have in front of me right now, a can with your name on it. Yes. Can you explain that to me? Yeah. So it's also the cocktail that we're drinking. Yeah. Uh, can you hold it up so I can get a smiling shot face of right it? Because we never do anything on our Instagram, but we will this time. Just in case, right? This cocktail was one of the one of the challenge cocktails for world classes here. Most of the challenges, which of which there were five plus the speed round for the for the lucky top eight that man, managed to get through. Uh, most of them had at least two parts. So this one was the Johnny Walker challenge. What they're calling this one, Johnny Walker's uh, famously got the striding man on the label. So they call this one the striding can. Pretty, uh, nice. pretty tongue in cheek, right? The idea was to create a cocktail. They gave us a ratio already. So one part Johnny Walker, one part of a cordial that you can make, and then three parts of, of sparkling water. Uh, so literally the only thing you can do is make the cordial. And I made the cordial. This one we have here. I called it the Coastal Forest Cordial when I presented it. Mm. Uh, a little bit of BC into into the world, uh, and it uh, it has uh, alderwood smoked tea, eater, rosemary, and allspice, and it's been acidified a little bit as well. So, made that cordial, brought it to Glasgow. My partner Natish made artwork that you see on the can, uh, which is very much reticent of of uh, where I was kind of t- trying to take the judges you know, into the forest, uh, around a fire. Basically, the idea is crack it and, and enjoy it in a place where you would uh, not normally drink a cocktail. So have it next to the fire. The reason, it's called the Breath of Trees. The reason for that is um, my grandfather was a, a scout leader. Uh, and, you know, going, to, uh, going into the forest and, and going into, into nature was a, was a big part of my childhood growing up. And that idea of the trees breathing, you know, that sound that they make when they're you know, rustling through the, through the wind and, and that kind of, that kind of motion. Uh, that's what I was trying to capture with the cocktail. So that's actually also what we're drinking. Was this, it's you, fucking delicious. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely super delicious. And it, the fact that it's so simple, 
Yeah. Um, I think it really speaks volumes for the kind of cocktail that it is. I think it's is really it's refreshing, but it's also got a really good amount of viscosity to it too. It's mm-hmm. not like really waiting. And it's, it definitely per- captures very well with like this kind of season that we have right now, especially with anything with rosemary. Because I think we were talking off air that when you can complement and use herbs in a cocktail um, very well, I think they really showcase. I, I was saying earlier that I wish cilantro was a thing that I could figure out how to do, but you were saying that pineapple yeah. works really well. That, pineapple but, and cilantro. Great yeah. I would never think to do pineapple. <clears throat> Thai food, man. Yeah. I guess yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So you just got to think about the, the culture and the cuisine that you're going to be using it with. It's kind of bringing it to the cocktail. But also to do it, to do it in a balanced manner is super challenging to anyone who's worked with like flavors that are like that intense. Like rosemary is an intense flavor. So to actually pull it off in a cocktail is like, I think pretty, pretty interesting. Um, and also chefs that do it too, with obviously culinary aspect too, but. Was this, you won one of the challenges, right? Yes. Was this the one? This wasn't the one. No. Uh, this one I came second in. Oh. We got the, we got the scores just recently. And I think I might be the only person in the entire uh, world-class competition that didn't want to see any of the scores. I did not want to know how, how close I came to first place. How close are you? Yeah. Uh, close enough. We'll say that. Like painful? Uh, it's, I've, you know, I've been sitting with it for the last little bit. Coming. Like splitting, splitting hairs, basically? And I think any competition is, is, is probably splitting hairs. I would say it, I was on the podium. They came, I came second. And that's, you know, that's going to be as close as I'll, as I'll ever get to first place in, in world class. But it's something that I've been sitting on for, for quite some time and just kind of trying to understand what that means. Because you come first place, uh, it's a very special thing and you're, you're, you're part of the world class you know, family forever. Second place, you're definitely still a part of it, but it's, I think you get to forge your own path. That part I'm actually a little bit more excited about. And, you know, first place winner, Benny Kang, like absolutely destroyed it as well. This, the way that our scoring works is, is a little confusing. You basically have to win your grouping. There's four groups. I won my grouping outright. She won hers outright. And uh, her speed round was unbelievable. Like, I, I was pretty happy with my speed round because the way that it worked, uh, the judges give you a score, like a, a, a green flag or a red flag. I was the only only competitor that got all green flags, so I was pretty happy about that. But she, like her speed round was like four minutes or something. It was crazy fast. Oh, wow. How many wow. cocktails? Uh, six. Six. And you have no idea what they are either. Go Basically, they announce the top eight. That top eight gets on stage. Everybody cheers for you. Then they send you to the back. And they bring you up two by two, and you have two minutes to kind of figure out the layout of the bar. And uh, after those two minutes, they have like a basically a chit comes up for six cocktails. Everybody got five randomly randomly uh, sorted cocktails and one um, uh, dealer's choice as well. So, what were yours? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, I'll never forget. And I forgot. That sounds I, I, so stressful. By oh, the way. it was amazing. <laughs> and I actually think the how best many, part. How many people at this point are watching you? Uh, there was probably like over a thousand people in the room and then it was live cast as well. So I got a lot of notes and messages from people back in Canada that are just like huddled around a computer watching the live cast, which is super cool. Yeah. Super cool to see that across Canada. But yeah, my, my five cocktails and, and the, uh, dealer's choice. So I had a French martini classic, right? Classic. Yeah, classic French martini. Uh, I had a julep. I had a... Uh, Blood and Sand, also another classic, right? Yeah. Uh, I had a Singapore Sling and a Tommy's Margarita. 
Uh, Which is my opinion. Threw a sling at you? That's fucking cruel, man. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's so cruel. <laughs> it, it, that, that one, like, you know, how many how many ingredients are in a Singapore sling? It was like, it was what, like was seven? It seven, seven, seven or seven eight. Or eight. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably know this, to be honest. Yeah. But. You guys guess what my, uh, what my deal of choice was. Okay, so if you're... It wasn't you're, a Caesar. I want to let you know that right now. Okay, not a Caesar. It was a vegan Caesar. <laughs> Fucker. Uh, I would say Long Island. That would be a good one, actually. Because uh, one of the judges was uh, Ueno-san from Bar High Five. And apparently that's like his cocktail. Wow, nice. But I, I did not get that one. What'd you do? Negroni. Oh, you did Negroni? Yeah. Yeah. They did Negroni. And I, so you get to choose who, who gets your cocktails as well. There's a, you make the cocktails. You, you make them as fast as possible. And you put them down on stickers that are right in front of you that have all the judges' names. And the judges were like, the judging panel's crazy, right? Like Monica yeah. Berg, Julie Reiner, Charles Jolie, Hueno-san, Christian Stevenson, like big, big names in the, in the industry. Uh, and so like Julie Reiner is like probably the self-professed queen of the Negroni. I knew that she was in there. I knew I wanted to make a Negroni. I knew I wanted nice. Charles Jolie, same thing with the... Uh, with the julep as well, right? And yeah. Ueno-san got the Singapore sling. So you did your research on all your on your judges, is what you're saying? Yeah, a little bit, yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, smart. Yeah, I, I, I knew who they were going in, of course. And I, I think most people that are going through world class know who those people are already. Yeah. You know, big, big names to begin with. So Did you do a twist on the Negroni or anything? Or did you just do no classic? twists. No, nothing. Classic. All classics. Yeah. All classics. I think uh, they're, they're giving you the tools to succeed, right? They're telling you to do exactly this. Follow the rules. Yeah. Um, mm. I didn't twist anything. Um, I, I don't know if that would have that would have gone over well. So, yeah, because they're wanting you to execute a classic cocktail. Yeah, right. I think about it like you know somebody somebody orders uh, six cocktails, a table orders six cocktails, and they order a Negroni. They're not going to be like, oh, yeah. I wanted, I just wanted a regular Negroni. Why did you put like uh, basil and the <laughs> green chartreuse in it? Yeah, that sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that sounds, that sounds, I mean, we've talked about this before about competition and I know that you would, you're not in that competitive spirit. I just think that the challenge. Well, I compete, just not in this. <laughs> just, just in things in you can setting, win, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But for guys like you that do this, it's like, it just seems like such a, not only do you have to like, like Jamie just said, know your judges and do your research on everything, but you do knowledge based on just like cocktail culture in general, execution of cocktails in general. Then not to mention the fucking stress of like uh, real time like performance is uh, I've always marveled at that when I see these competitions and go to them and stuff like that. So, well, yeah, and I, I think something that goes unsaid about especially about the speed round is uh, <laughs> I uh, we all wore kilts uh, to this one. So I oh. got to I got to get on stage uh, wearing a kilt. It's <laughs> pretty special. Also stressful, yeah. And yes, there was nothing underneath. I know, you, like you're looking at me. I was about to course, ask that question. Of course, yeah, there's no nothing kilts. underneath. Like Full it. Scottish. Yeah, you <laughs> can't wear you can't wear anything underneath. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you you can't wear anything underneath. Why? It's like tradition. Oh, so you can feel also that's that's kind of the point. There are both times (laughs) they're like quite breezy and very warm. It's weird. Weird combination. Yeah, but your boys are just (laughs) hanging out there. Yeah. I don't know if I could do that. Uh, Try it out. Can you? Do either one of you guys sleep naked? Yeah. It's a weird question. Well, no, but I'm just saying. Like, I just I I never can. I think it's just a weird thing. I actually sleep um, just in a tutu. Actually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Why? What, what color are we talking? It's a silken tutu. No, actually, I, I just got a um, a rib tattoo, so it's been really painful. So I, I usually do sleep naked, but 
the last, like, uh, since I got it done, which was like three days ago, I've been sleeping actually just with a t-shirt on just like to minimize it. the, what's that? You're poo bearing it. <laughs> <Poo-bearing> it <yeah. laughs> it's weird. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, why well, am I wearing a fucking t-shirt? <laughs> and like nothing else. Whose house is But normally naked. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, I can't sleep naked. Just can't do it. Too much movement. I need. Well, that's a personal preference. My boys need a house. You get tied down? Is that what you're trying to tell us? (laughs) No. He sleeps bonded in his bed. Full latex. Also weird. Yeah. Uh, We're talking about competitions, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I don't mind this conversation. We can keep going with this. Different conversation. Let's move on with the competition. Um, Yeah. You know, I think think that that level of engagement with cocktail culture is really important, but I think more so what's what's really important about competitions is, is just bringing to the light who you are and what you care about. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that some of the people that I've been really inspired by, of course, you're like, you're plugged into something, uh, it's meaningful, but it's it's you. It's always you. Uh, Caitlin Stewart uh, very much was that in 2017 when she won the Globals. Mm. She was herself. She talked about cats. She talked about tattoos. And, I, and that like won over the judges because it was earnest. And, and, you know, I think for bartenders that are coming up in the kind of competition realm, it's really easy to, to dig into what's popular, what's winning cocktail competitions, who's winning cocktail competitions, and, and digging into their brains. But honestly, it's, it's just about you. Mm. That's what people are interested in seeing. The reason that you're on a stage is because you're, you've been you. Just continue to do you. That's awesome. Like there's an authenticity there that obviously that they're trying to cultivate, which I think is like super dope. Sometimes you talk to people about cocktail competition and stuff like that. You notice people we've talked to in our circle and in Vancouver. And there's so much of this BS about like, yeah, the, it's all, you know, brand loyalty and stuff like that, which is, there's that, I'm sure there's a part of it that is that. But when you talk to people who are competing like yourself and the people who have won in the past, that it's just a, a special thing that I don't think that can be replicated and it's not like, like you're not like you said, you're not going to win if you're copying like what the last year's or like following any trends or whatever. So sure. well, that's a really cool aspect of that. I don't think people, many people talk about. So like it just for context, like let me give you the example of uh, the Singleton challenge this year. Singleton was actually the one that I, that I won outright uh, each at the end of the competition. They gave us all kind of a, a layout of who, who won what um, gave us a little tiny trophy. Cool. But, yeah, so so Singleton was was a challenge that I that I won, and it was one that I'm like very excited to have won because it was of all the of all the challenges, it was the one that I think spoke to who I am the most. Um, so it's two part challenge. First part, Singleton for, for people who don't know, it's a single malt whiskey. Uh, we have a few different iterations, but in Canada we have Dufftown, which um, really nice, pretty approachable, kind of a breakfast whiskey. I would say one of those whiskeys you bring to a party and. Very few people are going to object to it. So the challenge was, first part was to create a cocktail that uh, used three, two ingredients plus the whiskey. One ingredient you can make and one ingredient you can't make. Both of them have to be liquid. So what I did was I created a cocktail. I obviously taste the whiskey. Um, the interesting thing about, about what we're talking about is I when I'm tasting the whiskey... I'm not, I, I tasted it first and I'm like, okay, I get notes of like apricot, coconut, this kind of like tropical notes, like lots of richness, almost like a butteriness or like fattiness uh, and baking spices, right? Like cinnamon, star anise, uh, allspice, those kind of things. And then I looked on the website, I was like, oh, maybe I should see what 
what they say their whiskey tastes like. Mm-hmm. And it, it had the exact opposite. <laughs> the exact opposite. It was like blueberries, black tea. Like I, I don't get any of this, honestly. Um, and so I just, but I went with my gut, right? I got to go with what I taste and, and what I'm excited about in the whiskey. And so I, I made a drink. I, I think we think about a, a whiskey with two ingredients that are, that are both liquid. You're probably doing something like a highball or a Bobby Burns or like an old fashioned kind of thing. Uh, I decided to do a tiki cocktail. Um, so I made, uh, you guys familiar with like Don the Beachcomber? Of course. Classic, classic uh, tiki bartender. I think so. Yeah. Sure. He's, he's a classic tiki bartender. He's basically the man who basically kind of helped invent yeah. him and Trader Vic. Uh, and Trader uh, Vic. Okay. Kind of the two guys that basically started tiki culture back in the 1950s and 40s. Yeah. yeah. So after the, after the war. And basically, like what they did, there was so much competition between the between Trader Vic and Don the Beachcomber that they would have bartenders that like they didn't trust. I mean, I don't really know why people trust bartenders to begin with. Uh, but, uh, I mean, look at us. Right? <laughs> yeah. Degenerates. Uh, but uh, what they would do is that they would create these like really elaborate cocktails, but they would create them in a way that the bartender wouldn't know how to recreate them if they stepped out of the bar. So is that why no one knows? No one like really knows how to make a fucking mai tai or a fucking. There's so many variations. Sling, or there's right? so many variations. Yep, for sure. And, but so basically, what they would do is they would make like they would make a syllabus explaining how to make a cocktail. Be like three parts uh, rum blend number three, one part uh, uh, Don Spice makes number one. And then lime juice, lemon juice, whatever. So they, it would be like pretty esoteric. So I incorporated that into this into this tiki cocktail where I did uh, a savage spice mix. Yeah, you know, um, but did like baking spices, apricot, coconut, and really bring that out and brought it up with some demerara syrup, and then just uh, lime juice, my three my three ingredients. Shook it up, um, put it into a glass that uh, my partner and I created. It's like a tiki mug. But it's a tiki mug that's got like a Scottish warrior on it in a, in a tartan that the tartan is my family tartan as well. Um, and my whole story about it was, you know, finding the cocktail is called Find Your Tribe. You know, the whole thing is about like finding where you fit in. And, you know, we, we've evolved past um, tribal uh, heritage being something that we that we ascribe to in, in the Western world, at least. Um, and, and more focusing on like where you fit in and and what you love and, and you know. Who, who is part of that tribe that you build was, was a big thing. So that was the first part. The second part was to create a, a whiskey uh, serve. So you take the singleton, you can either have it neat or on the rocks. You can't make a cocktail with it. Uh, and you have two ingredients to go alongside it as complementary ingredients. They can't be liquid. They can be like a gas. They can be a solid. They can be, I guess those are the two things that aren't liquid. Um, so... What what I did was that I took all of the spices and all the ingredients in the baking um, in the in the Savage Spice mix, and took that, uh, blitzed them up, dehydrated them, uh, and then mixed it with um, wood chips and uh, beeswax, and made these like fire starters. You light it, and it smells exactly like the whiskey. You get this like really aromatic uh, component. So I lit it. I let it. I let it go. It's kind of in this like round round thing and i'm talking about if you find your tribe one of the big things that's i think especially canadians is really special is the idea of welcoming people into your fire you know? welcoming people once you found your tribe turn around and welcome somebody else who's who's looking for theirs and uh you know canada as what i said is you know canada is a very big country and it's a very cold country and we wouldn't survive in this country without people welcoming welcoming us to the fire you know whether it's 
the indigenous people that were here uh, before colonization, whether it was, you know, people who've started a life in, in the new world and, and welcoming people through. And so that was the idea is having that, having that whiskey sitting by the fire. And then the second con- the ingredient was, uh, was a little fun. I had worked with a kitchen at Botanist to make uh, duck fat marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. Yum. Yeah, they were amazing. So, <laughs> so good. Roasted, roasted duck fat with, again, some baking spices uh, and made these marshmallows. And so the idea was to sit back and toast a marshmallow over the fire uh, and, and enjoy it with your whiskey. And the idea for me was always about who, who I am and, and what I find meaningful. Uh, and I think that's the reason why I won that challenge, because I was wholeheartedly and earnestly myself. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the advice that I give to anybody moving forward into a competition. How much time did they give you to prepare for all that? Listen to that advice, listener. Uh, from the beginning of getting the challenge package. Yes, yeah, so, so, so that's how it works for you. So the challenge package you get that a couple weeks ahead of time. Uh, so I got the challenge package at the end of July. Oh, say so, so you have a couple months to prepare for. Yeah, it. yeah. So thankfully that that's the case. And you know, world class Canada uh, really like really sets us up for success. The challenges start. In January, uh, we've got like a, an entry level and we've got a regional, uh, two different regionals, East and West. And then we've got the national challenge. And after that, I've, I felt so set up. I mean, you know, I can I can talk about the accolades and the amazing things that Canadian bartenders are doing right now. With like literally the fact of having 10 people this year in Whistler and being able to come out on top of that, I felt like really set me up for success. Um, getting the challenge package uh, and, and, and really reading through it and being able to, to like, like literally, uh, Chris Grant and myself, we went on the golf course, golfed, talked through the package, talked through the ideas. Uh, so yeah, it started in, started in July, um, which seems like a lot of time, but when you're thinking about, so that one challenge that I went through, that was one of five, right? And so, you know, trying to find the nuances and, and where you can stand out in a crowd and that, and that kind of challenge package Takes time. You ever, I guess when, I guess one of the great things about being successful in anything is how much you prepare ahead of time. You must have spent like countless hours getting ready for this. When you walked and you got on the flight and you went over to Europe, how did you feel going there? Were you excited, nervous, scared? Were you just ready to go. I'm always curious about like the kind of the warrior mentality and the, the competitive spirit and all that stuff, just because having seen you and Grant and Chris and all you guys come back and do so well, it's pretty amazing, but I'm always just kind of in awe of the, the whole experience itself. And just sometimes I try to always picture what it would be like to be out there and just. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I do a lot of, uh, nonfiction reading, uh, to totally derail this conversation slightly before we go back into it. I do a lot of nonfiction reading. Uh, and uh, one of the things I found has been really helpful, and this is like pretty nerdy, but is um, samurai culture is like very interesting. Uh, and, and I've done a lot of, of reading about kind of the meditations around that. Because you, t- you talk about that warrior culture, right? And, and uh, the idea of you can... You can prepare your entire life to do something, but that's not going to necessarily set you up to succeed uh, to the level that you need to sometimes, right? It's about mentality as well. I mean, of course, what's the saying? Proper proper performance prevents piss poor present. Proper, pepper, <laughs> proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. 
Okay. Oh, there you go. That's the idea. Alliteration. Say, say, yeah. that, say, say that five times. Yes. Five. No, thank you. <laughs> that's important, right? I mean, and, and you're right. I spent I spent a lot of time in the lab of botanist. Like literally, I would go in after after hours and leave right as the as the day team was opening the doors, kind of thing. And I did that many many nights. Uh, and of course, you know, tasting through things, challenging yourself, and, and building syrups and building recipes is super important. But it's all it, it like that's that's the one piece, but it also all comes down to that that singular moment, right? Um, and like the the readings around samurai culture is like you know the the beginning and end of your life starts and ends at the at the beginning and end of somebody else's blade, right? That idea is really really interesting. Is like you have to be in that moment. Um, thankfully, uh, it's not a winner uh, winner die kind of competition in in world class or in any yeah, other cocktails. Involved, yeah, not yet at least. I mean, we'll see what happens. <laughs> No, but I mean, we like you and I talk about this all the time and the fact that like we love basketball and we love that competitive spirit that comes through in sports. And yeah. I mean, I grew up in a sports background. I was a big track and field athlete for years. Yeah. I competed a lot. And I, I'm always like, I mean, I think one of the main reasons why I gravitate to, gravitated towards like watching and adoring someone like a Kobe Bryant is the fact that like I just loved, he wasn't probably the most talented player in the league in comparing stuff like this. And when I talk about what you're doing here, it's like you're saying, it's just a mentality, right? It's like, I bet you, of the 55 people that you competed against, every single person there is just as talented as each, each, each individual. It's just, at the end of the day, it's like personal self and how much you believe in what you're capable of doing. And it's just like being, not being afraid of the moment and just going for it. And I, that's why I'm always fascinated with this cocktail culture because I'm a bartender and I've been doing it for years. And I just, I know I could never do what you guys do because I just don't see myself doing that that way. But I'm always in awe of how great what you guys do it because it pushes the boundaries of, of what we do. You know, you guys are always pushing things. It's like the, it's like the high fashion of bartending. It's, it's taking that. And then all of a sudden, all those great things that you're coming up with and those great ideas and all that mingling with all those great minds from all over the world just eventually just seeps into the global, global bartending culture. And it's just so great for society. And uh, the only reason I'm touching on that is I finished just writing a column talking about the idea of how people that work in the hospitality industry struggle still with that perception of like a third class Um, third class position and that's why talking to people like you today and seeing you succeed is so exciting because i think we're slowly starting to get out of that stigma and it's that's why i love hearing you do this and be so creative and be so excited and like you're not afraid to showcase like you're saying like who i was and not not being afraid to just be you and i think it's it's interesting because like, I think we've all experienced that, you know, when people come up to the bar and it's like, oh, so when are you going to get a real job? Yeah. It's like, it's like fuck you. Yeah. I, like, you don't have, you have no idea how much time and effort I put into what I do for a living and how much I love it. And it's totally, just, yeah. I think it's, it's a really cool thing. That's why it's, it's always exciting to be a part of this. And that's why I feel very grateful to uh, share the same employment and share the same job as you guys. <laughs> it's, so. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, if you had told me, you know, you know, seven, eight years ago, this would be the, the trajectory that my career had taken. I would have never believed that at all. Because, you know, my my idea to be, begin with coming into, into hospitality was I always loved it, but it was the secondary thing that put me through university uh, and allowed me to, to live a lifestyle that I wanted to. So, you know, coming out of academia, which, you know, I worked in uh, for a fair bit and was quite successful in it. What did you, t- what did you take in university? Uh, I have two degrees in political theory and religious studies. Oh yeah, there's lots of jobs there. Yes, for sure. Theology, yeah. <laughs> I mean, thesis or, or get the fuck out, right? But um, you know, and once like I, 
we uh, we ran a project that was really successful. Traveled quite a bit with it. I finished my degree in uh, Turkey. I finished remotely, uh, and coming back and 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 really digging into that kind of DIY aspect of of cocktail culture was what I was really excited about. And there's very few things in life like hospitality because especially if you're if you're a bartender, there's there's no other job I can think of that you work with your hands and your heart as well at the same time where you're able to like stand in front of somebody and talk to them about their day uh, and you know build build trust with them, talk about uh, whatever it is that happened in their life. And those relationships, as you both know, last years in some situations across different cities. Like I have regulars that have ironically lived in multiple cities that I've lived in as well. And they come to my bar every week. And and I I don't know that there's anything else that has that kind of combination because at the same time, while you're you're able to have that uh, beautiful connection with people, you're also building something. You're making physically making something. You're making an old fashioned. You're making a Negroni. You're, you know, you're making some of those crazy lab cocktails that we have at Botanist, and it's you're, you're able to like flex a creative muscle, physically create something, and emotionally connect. And there's so few things that, that do that. And then plus being able to you know work in a field that allows you to travel and, and see things that like you literally can't pay to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think you're right. Like we're, we're, we're struggling with that stigma of, of, of being that, yeah, second, third class kind of, uh, kind of career, but I'm okay with that too, because people maybe don't know, uh, how beneficial the job is and, and how financially rewarding it can be. Oh, you don't want the, you don't want the secret to get out. Huh? No, oh, no. Yeah. Shh. No. <laughs> Shitty job, man. Shitty job. Yeah, don't, don't do it. it. Don't, don't do get it. it. It's yeah, worthless. No, no. I mean, it's 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 a uh, CRA is not listening, are they? I don't think so. Who mm. knows? We'll we'll find out. I only make ten percent. Yeah, I only <laughs> claim five. Fuck. Whoa. <laughs> I never have. <laughs> well, it's. I think it's really cool to get the inside perspective. Talk to uh, competitors like yourself and who have been successful in it. But the fact that it's what it, I think to me, like when I hear. You, uh, like you were talking about your experience and everything. I think it really comes down to like, it's a people industry and the fact that um, your personality and you as a person and how you represent yourself is rewarded is really that, that to me speaks louder than sort of any other underlying theme in that um, because that's exactly what your experience was. So I think it's really cool that that's recognized. I think that's important because we are who we are. So it's really, really cool. Really cool. I think one of the things I'm really excited about as well. Good job, Diageo. Thanks, Diageo. <laughs> Way to do it. Uh, I think one of the things I'm really excited about as well, with the kind of the progression of of how cocktail competitions and how uh, we're being perceived in that is, you know, everybody's going to make a good drink. Like that's, uh, it should be the bare minimum, right? Especially when you get to a global level, you've got people that have competed to win the best bartender in uh, the United States, the best bartender in Great Britain, the best bartender in India and Japan and like, it's it's crazy to me to think that and everybody like it gets bantered around a lot once you're in the kind of realm but everybody's a champion and everybody should make a good drink and uh be able to to be hospitable but what's interesting nowadays is to see how that kind of it's it's that's important but what's the next step and what's the next step in taking your hospitality from like the cocktail from being in front of the judges from being in your bar, how do you extend that? And how do you take that into, into the community? And uh, that's something that this year I've really been 
really been working on. And um, so, for example, one of the challenges uh, as well was with Kettle One. Kettle One does something globally right now. It's called the Better Drinking Challenge. Yeah, we I've heard about this. The really really neat thing. And so basically, what they're doing is they're they're empowering people in different communities to to look at making a drink that affects positive change. Right. So you can think about it in any way, really. Uh, environmental is a huge one. Of course, there's a massive uh, environmental cost of of literally anything that we do nowadays, but hospitality is definitely included in that. Uh, you can think about it socially as well, which which you can say is the same kind of cost. And so, you know, one of the, one of the things how I interpreted that was uh, was working with um, Save on Meats in Vancouver. Which, are you guys familiar with them? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the token program that yeah. they have. Yep. Yeah. So. For anybody who's, who's unaware Brand. about it, Mark, Mark Brand for sure was, was the was the leader of that. And taking, uh, if you go into Save on Meats right now, you can buy a token, three dollars and fifty cents, or they have a second one for five dollars. Um, what you do is you can take that token, give it to anybody uh, who looks as if they could have uh, deserve a good meal, and or with the five dollar one, maybe you need some warm clothing, socks, and, and gloves, and stuff like that. And so I can I just connected with them because they're doing amazing work in, in a lot of different ways. Connected with them to create like a way just to put that token as a garnish on a on a drink. My drink is very like environmentally sustainable, but it also has this kind of clip on there that then allows you to go and and like if you if you hold on to that token for a couple of days, you have that memory in it. You know, you, you sat down at the bar, we chatted about the realities of of you know life in the downtown east side of Vancouver. And then you can take that token and, and give it to somebody. And the most important thing for that for me is of course you're battling food insecurity, but you're also seeing somebody as a person. And I think that's what hospitality really does is take the opportunity to see somebody for who they are um, and for the challenges that they have and try to find a way to mitigate them. And to see that's just mine, but to see what other people did was really amazing as well. You know, lots of people did environmentally focused things, lots of projects with bees right now, which is really cool. Um, one of the competitor from India uh, worked with uh, people in his community who had kitchen gardens. I guess that's a big thing in where he lives is people having a garden that they, you know, that's like where they feed their families from, but they also sell the excess, sell the excess produce. And, you know, things like fruit goes bad, you know, and it's not like a, not a long investment. Uh, so what he did was work with them to create a project that connected those people with his talent. Right, so he knows how to make good syrups. He knows how to make good cordials. They didn't necessarily know that. He can. He gave them their his knowledge. They made cordials out of like their fruit that's been that's been going bad, and then he's worked with the with Diageo to create branding. So now you can go and have like a, a mango cordial, whereas before that would have just gone in the garbage. Mm. Stuff like that is really interesting. It's like seeing how you can be a public benefit. It's really important to me. But don't so, you think that's also one of like the hardest things that we deal with here in Vancouver is also just the idea of like what you just talked about is, is we're, especially where I live, I live in Chinatown. It's, it's in my face every single day. But yeah. understanding that these, like the people that are around you that are maybe dealing with some stuff or they do have drug addiction is, is like my mom used to always say this, say this to me growing up. She's like, anybody that you see is different from you, always make sure that you look at them as a human being. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I think we lose sight of that. Sometimes it's like when you're walking down the street and someone's struggling or living or homeless and we just some it's easy to just turn a blind eye or just walk away but it's like 
the classic line I always try to tell people is like, if you see a homeless person on the street and you see them with a dog, who do you feel more sorry for? 90% of people will always say that they feel more sorry for the dog, yeah. which is kind of fucked up. And it's, it's kind of weird that we live in that society, but that's just what human beings are. And it's, and, um, a, a thing that we kind of have to deal with and navigate here in Vancouver, especially, I mean, it happens in everywhere. It's in a lot of cities, you know, San Francisco is really prevalent. New York, Los Angeles. I mean, we saw a lot of it when we were down there yeah. recently. But it's just like, yeah, it's, it's great that you're looking to find ways to maybe take what you're working with and uh, try to find ways to better the community and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's really cool. It sounds like you had a really good experience doing this whole Diageo thing and this whole world-class thing. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And, uh, yeah, the, the Better Drinking Challenge was, was something that was, that was really meaningful. But I had been looking at it uh, through that lens for a while because... I think I think competing for your own sake is, is great, but it it does feel a little hollow if you're not uh, if you're not working towards something. Bacardi Legacy is a good example of that. Uh, Bacardi Legacy I was in a couple of years ago. Great competition, super like super engaging and that kind of thing. But one of the things they do is they want you to have a lot of engagement with media, uh, social media, or you know traditional media's whatever. When I was going through it, uh, it was right around the time that Puerto Rico just got absolutely devastated by hurricanes. Absolutely devastated. And it's really hard uh, to look at it that way because, I mean, Bacardi is based in Puerto Rico. And Bacardi employs a lot of people there. And, and to their credit, they're doing a lot of work trying to, trying to rebuild communities and they put a lot of money into it, uh, which I think you can argue is, is, is kind of a requirement to be a to be a corporation in this world, I would, I would hope, but they're doing a good job with it. And when we went down to Puerto Rico, it was right after the hurricane. And one of the big things that we did um, with Bacardi was that they bought a bunch of generators and gasoline. And we like literally took them to families' houses and like gave them a generator and then like hung out with them and made like daiquiris and made the mojitos and stuff like that. And, you know, that, that was really special. It really opened my eyes. And so when I came back, uh, my strategy there was to like, Take whatever social capital that I could, I could build and put it towards raising funds to flow directly into uh, into hurricane relief. And and I think you know that's like I said, that's the trajectory that a lot of hospitality foundations are going, and a lot of these kind of competitions uh, are, are going in particular. And I, I think it's really special because you're you're democratizing this kind of like entre, almost entrepreneurial spirit when you're. We're trying to rebuild community or, or change things in the community. It's really special. So when you're around that many bartenders, did you pick up any cool things that you're like, holy shit, I can't believe, like anything that you're like, I need to do this. I need to figure out how to do that. Or like, how the hell did you do that? I'm always curious about that Any part. flair techniques you learned? Yeah. Or? Any flair? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Behind the back. It's like, just think about it. you got all these great minds all together. You must have seen some cool shit. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's twofold. It's kind of complicated because you're so focused on your own. Yeah. Thing, and right? you don't really get to see a lot of stuff. What you see is the back of house, right? Uh, yeah. We have one giant prep space in in Glasgow. In particular, is the we're at this place called SWG Three, which is like classically Glaswegian. It's like super dingy. I think it was like some sort of factory, broken windows everywhere, but like really cool looking and like you know lots of lots of heart. And that's where Diageo like built uh, built their whole experience. But the back of house was a uh, you know. 55 people rushing to do things, 55 people like trying to, t- trying to create things, 
And so that, that part was really cool. You know, you got like the Italian competitor, for example, like I think you put mushrooms in everything. I think you put, I think you put porcini well, mushrooms in everything. We're doing some mushrooms in California. What kind of mushrooms? Oh, okay. Not <laughs> those you, kind of mushrooms. Porcinis? You get wild on okay. porcinis? Uh, I mean, maybe he did. That part I didn't know. But, you know, like taking, taking like traditional like Italian flavors, like he had like a Zabayon um, foam on top of one of his cocktails. Like that's super smart. That makes a lot of sense. Or just, I, I think for me, it's, it's just to see the flavor combinations more than anything else that comes out of it, you know. This year, the top eight of the top eight, five of them were from Asian countries. Right. Really cool. Huh. Really cool to see. I mean, it was uh, myself, Great Britain, and Denmark, and then the rest of it was was like dominated by Asia. And so to see the flavor combinations that they're working with and, and kind of the nuances and delicacies uh, of like Japanese culture being played into a highball, you know, like that, that stuff is really interesting for me. You've been over there? Have you been over? You've been over to... I've been to Vietnam. Yeah. I've been to Vietnam, I've Thailand, only, and Philippines. For someone who's not um, as immersed in the, in the cocktail culture as many other people, I've, I've heard that there's a huge culture there. Oh, when I, was in, when I was in Ho Chi Minh City, like, yeah, the cocktail culture there is like fucking baller. So how would you, com- like, in terms of comparisons, like, compared to North America, cocktail culture-wise? Any comments on that? Like, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that... So let's look at Japanese culture. Japanese cocktail culture is really interesting because I think like everything that the Japanese do, they just do it better than than us with 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 less. Oh, we just got so sorry. Side note: We just got their um, Roku, their gin in in our bar. Wow, pretty cool, right? Wow. Yeah. Same with the Nika gin as well. It's like it's wild. Yeah. They tend they tend to take things that have uh, not been traditionally part of Japanese culture and just run with it, right? Um. So so Japanese Japanese cocktail culture is really. From my information, my idea is like it's based in technique and it's based in precision in that regard. Uh, quality of ice is a really big, big one as well. And so those kind of things. I mean, like the Japanese hard shake. If you haven't heard of it before, look at the up. eight point thing. Yeah, it's yeah. like the crazy elbow. And yeah. I mean, to watch to watch somebody master that and be able to make something, it looks entirely flawless. Uh, but to to do something as simple as as you know, augment your shake is, is really special. And so I think, I think in, in Japanese culture, it's about, you know, that kind of precision in technique, uh, and delicacies, uh, and intricities, uh, layered on, on layer. But in, we'll say in like the Western world, uh, in Canada, United States in particular, I think we really focus on the quality of ingredients, right? And so we have so many different ingredients to choose from. We have so many different styles of whiskey to choose from. And you talk about American rye, I mean, how many American rise can you list off the top of your head? Just a ton. And so that's, I think the, the difference is, is where the focus lies. But I think once you get to this kind of international level, it's, it's both. Yeah. You're focusing on technique while focusing on high quality ingredients and that kind of thing. But that's what I see. I, I don't know what you see. Uh, I mean, like I've never been to Japan, but I mean, what I saw um, in Vietnam, especially I saw like super creative, super knowledgeable, super eager. That's the biggest thing I probably noticed. And they're like just as talented as any bartender I've ever seen over here. Their programs are a little bit more that you can tell that they're still finding their way in a lot of ways. But I mean, I was very, I was impressed hundred percent wholeheartedly. And their, and their, their bars are in like the middle of some rundown building behind two things. And you have to find this and it's like the middle of the, like, where the hell am I going? Yeah. But we were, I was shown around by, um, 
by a really established bartender when I was down there and I had a really good time. And yeah, I mean the bar, they have access to a lot of stuff that we probably can't get here. Um, and yeah, it was, I was very impressed. And I think they, I mean, with the amount of population that they have there, I mean, I don't see why they couldn't, yeah. you know, out succeed us in a lot of ways is you know, just sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those flavors that like, yeah. And the stuff they get to play with for flavor profiles. I mean, it's pretty, pretty sour sop and yeah. sweet sop. I don't even really know the difference yeah. other than it's in the name, I'm assuming. But <laughs> yeah. All I remember is I got really drunk. That's really yeah. what I yeah. yeah, it was good. It was really cheap. So. How would you, just a quick aside, how would you rate our, our little cocktail experience in LA? Well, yeah, I mean, we had a great time. We were down uh, downtown LA for most of the time. We went to Nomad, the Varnish, went to a couple of good cocktail bars down there. We had a, I'm, I'm generally not the best person to ask about these questions just because I'm more of a purist. So yeah, in yeah. a sense, like if I, even if I go to a cocktail bar and I see that they're making like tons of great house cocktails, I'm always going to be that asshole who just says, yeah, I you wanna... are last words. Yeah. I just want last words in Manhattans and sidecars. That's generally my three <laughs> go-tos. I can, so what kind of bar it is, if they make a really, really great Manhattan, if they can kind of blow me away on, on that one. I mean, the other two are pretty sidecars. You can kind of fuck up a little bit, but yeah, but I mean, I think we were pretty three sheets, like three sheets of wind by the time we even went out. So, <laughs> so we had a, all those porcini mushrooms. So, so what was that? Uh, the bar in the hotel? <laughs> so we were, we stayed at the freehand and then we upstairs was the broken shaker and broken yeah, shaker was classic. fantastic. And yeah. we had a great and time up there. One where I, so I, I broke a, a, a glass. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> you totally did. Dude, I broke it. Yeah. Time to leave. You shattered uh, Yeah, it. we left. I was like, I, no, I didn't shatter. Just like the stem broke. But yeah. you know, I was, I felt really bad, but yeah. I was like, that place really was drunk. great. We had a good time. That was yeah, at Nomad. The, look, the look I got from the bar team was like. It's a classic thing. Like <laughs> I have to. I never do that though. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, you really enjoyed the speakeasy too. That was pretty fun. You enjoyed that. I did. Yeah. Yeah. One thing is uh, the music was one thing I noticed about. It was my first time in LA and being down in downtown LA. Everywhere we went, I was like shazamming everything. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like old Motown, like weird, like like French lounge stuff. Like I got so much good music just from like being in a place that's playing. So I think. You know, we talk, we've been talking a lot about cocktail culture and stuff, but I think music is like a big part of like, and obviously that's atmosphere and aesthetics, but I think it's a big part as well as those speakeasies playing the right fucking music. So oh, like going man. there and hear Katy Perry I, or something I, I like love, that, so. I love LA. Like I've, I went there a year and a half ago for the first time. I think about Tiki, all that surf and like Hawaiian surf kind of sound. It goes hand in hand, right? Totally. Like, yeah. Tiki and, uh, and surf rock, like I don't think you can really yeah. think of anything else that can, like. Like that. I mean, jazz and the golden like era of cocktails, right? Yeah. Kind of that speakeasy cocktail too. Swing and stuff and totally, big band. Totally. Yeah. Can you give me your feelings on Yacht Rock, Mickey? Yacht Rock? Well, it's well documented. Yacht Rock is just Take your ass got off. Well, yeah. I've, I'll say it again. I've said it many times. He's just trying to get a razz out of me. All yacht, all yacht Rock is is what hipsters call soft rock. <laughs> Easy. I love it. You went <laughs> off when we were in LA. It was so hilarious. You were just like, fucking Yacht Rock. It's so stupid. Yeah. Well, there's that really famous uh, mix on SoundCloud called Yachty by Nature. Great name. And it's like, you know, it's, you know, Michael McDonald and fucking uh, all those bands from the... Uh, Put Michael McDonald on a yacht, though. Is it just soft rock still? That's a good question. Just broke the fourth wall there. <laughs> how do you even, like, what, 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 how do you even consider something soft rock? What is soft rock? Soft rock is like is that, like Genesis. Yeah, well, there's every no band. No distortion pedal to be seen. Every miles. every band in that era was making harder songs and softer songs, right? So, like everything that's a softer track from their album would be categorized as a softer rock song, right? And then just all put on a playlist, right? So, okay. Yeah, like I don't know. I don't care. Yeah, whatever. Jamie likes the psych rock, so I like <laughs> other stuff. I went and bought ten records yesterday. I'd yeah. Be very proud of me. 
Oh, we yeah. Went to, yeah. Went to, yeah. to AudioPod, bought, a, a, sound, new, bought uh, a, new, a new uh, record set up at his place. Yeah. That's impressive. We should go there. Yeah. Picked up Dark, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, a nice classic. Picked up a little bit of Paul Simon. Yeah. Picked up some Blondie. Paul Simon yeah, would considered to be like, yeah. Paul Simon? Okay. Yeah. Picked up some. But more like World, yeah. I picked up Rumors. Yeah. I had, Depending on what album. I picked up Rumors. I picked rumors. up some Thievery Corporation. Classic, yeah. Okay. Is Rumors like. Uh, not is it, true. Is it just. Yeah. It's not true. <laughs> Is it just like a uh, album about cheating on people made by people cheating on people? I think so. I think yeah. that's exactly. Well, right. they're all fucking each other in that band. Uh, and Christy McVie doesn't get enough credit for being like the main songwriter for all of their shit. Yeah. And that song "Dreams," uh, if you watch any documentary, apparently was written when Lindsay and. Um, but Lindsay was the abuser, right? Well, no, they were just. It's like the seventies. I don't know what they were doing, but like, anyways, uh, <laughs> she, Stevie wrote that song. <laughs> Probably. Poor Stevie wrote mushrooms. that song. Uh, after they had a big blow up at, at the recording studio. I don't think it was Muscle Shoals. They're at some recording studio. It might have been Muscle Shoals. And she went in a room, locked herself in a room with a with a keyboard and wrote that wrote dreams in like an hour. So really? I've, I've always thought that was a really fucking cool story. But Yeah, well, what I was trying to, because I don't have a lot of records. I have like maybe 40. But what I was trying to do is find records that I can just like throw on. And That's the know. thing about having a record player is that you need an album that yeah, you got to make sure it's, yeah. it has to be a solid album that you can leave on from start yeah, to finish. Yeah, you can just right? leave it on. So I was like, just playing before you, when you guys got to the recording studio, aka my apartment, I was playing Angel Olsen's uh, uh, 2016 yeah. album, My Woman. And man, that's like a, every song is fantastic. But yesterday I had a couple of friends over last night and I put on ELO. Oh, that was fantastic. I was like, ELO? Was, yeah, Electric like Lake. Light Orchestra. Yeah, oh, okay. Orchestra. I yeah. don't have that actually great. down, but yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the, whole, the whole thing was great. <laughs> Bought it for five bucks. It was amazing. Um, <sighs> great stuff. You have a record player? Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. It's, uh, actually, my mom's record player that I've that I've held on to. From, nice. From the seventies onwards, yeah. Very good. Old techniques. What are your favorite uh, favorite vinyls right now? Oh, this has become a music podcast. Yeah, this is gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I like I I I'm pretty uh, dystopic, I guess, or just disjointed is the word. Yeah. I'm pretty disjointed with my uh, with my music taste. So I love a lot of hip hop. Yep. Um. So listening to stuff like that. even like even newer stuff like I love uh, Anderson Pack and that like No Worries album. My buddy Tristan, so uh, he's a big fan of Anderson Pack. Super good. We featured I, a couple of those tracks on our other podcast. Um, lo- love that. Um, but I also yeah, I mean, I also inherited all of my my parents' stuff, right? So yeah. like old old Zeppelin and and I think I have like three copies of Rumors, of course. And uh, <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, Better. I go back and forth. I also this is like super nerdy, but we have uh, we have one uh, album that we play a lot. It's called. Uh, like Nashville and Niger, and it's a Nigerian uh, country from like the late seventies. <laughs> well, one one of the bands that we saw at Desert Days was Witch, and they're from Nigeria. Uh, they're yeah. a seventy. They're a seventy psych band. That's the thing. Lots about of psych the, and stuff coming out of Africa. Yeah, yeah, at that yeah. Time. It's really cool. That sounds amazing. I might have to get that off yeah. you to try because yeah, that, that when you get into the world of records and like some of the stuff is. Oh, maybe now in 2019, uh, coming to 2020, um, is cataloged on YouTube. But sometimes you come across records and you're like, what the fuck is this? Like yeah. this weird fusion shit they were doing in the 70s. Yeah. Um, I had this Ethiopian jazz record yeah. that I got from Dandelion's uh, Records on Main Street. Shout out Dandelion Records. Um, and it like, blew my mind. I'm like, all of these, the instrumentation is unique, but in like the setting of like whatever uh, genre, just country, whatever time signatures those are and with jazz, stuff like that. Just really, really cool. Um, when you start digging around like that, so yeah, no, it's really neat. Lots of stuff coming out of Lebanon in the seventies is really cool too. Yeah, you know, a little bit of that too. Okay, so should I? I have a couple things to run through, and then we're question gonna, time. Then we're, yeah, and then we're going to run through a quick a couple questions, and then we're okay. going to get you out of here. Should we get a drink first, though? Or are yeah, you good? Sure. Yeah. Well, do we have more? You said you okay. had more. Yeah. yeah, sure. Get more here. We're so lucky. It's like a private cocktail 
presentation for us, sort of. I'll be right back with your cocktail, sir. Okay. This past week, we just found out that Como came second in the En Route Magazine Awards, Best New Restaurant in Canada. Congratulations to Sean Layton Holy and Becky Harrington. Holy crap. Amazing. So good. Shout outs, uh, boys. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, it's weird that we had them on the podcast last year in September and they were, they, I think they opened in late. They opened early, two months later. I yeah, think. I think they opened like late, late October. So it's basically just been a year. Yeah. And to see what they've done for the city and how great that cocktail program is and how um, amazing they've been. And I, I think we've talked about them so many times that we, it's, it's great to see a great, unique environment and something, someone doing something very different in the city. And, and taking, being successful. And at being it. very successful. Just huge. Yeah. We're very proud of those guys. Very congr- congratulations. Um, you've been to opening, open outcry. I have not, neither is Mickey, but I'm, I didn't make it out. Sorry, Max. I've, I've been, I've been either. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go, but what were your initial thoughts? Yeah. Like super interesting room. I think, uh, I was fortunate enough to have Max make us our first drink there, which was really special. Oh, that's very special. Very dear to my heart. Uh, great, cool. Like martini program. They're, they're creating, you know, pathways for people to enjoy classic cocktails. Yeah. And I think they're they're focused on, you know, that kind of downtown clientele. I think it's going to do really well. Yeah, no, I I'm, I think that like downtown is like an area that's definitely needed stuff like this. So it's very exciting to mm-hmm. see another addition. And, and Sean Heather always does really cool stuff. So pretty excited for that. Uh, Dave very Chang, cool. Dave Chang's coming to Vancouver. Momofuku yeah. is going to be landing in the Vancouver. Dave, in the, come on the pod. Right. Let's do this. We should try to get him on. Let's try to get him on. We'll What's the worst that could happen? Let's just email the ringer. Does yeah. Seth Rogen also have to be there as well? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Imagine if we got Dave Chang. That'd be cool. <laughs> Anyways, he's going to be in the, what's, it's called the Vancouver House. It's the yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's promoting West his Bank. new series, right? Well, it's his new series that he has on um, Netflix right now. What is it? Yeah. Uh, uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I, so I, just landed. I won't watch it, but. They, they, no, they went to Vancouver. Yeah, well, they stayed at our hotel. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, cool. I saw him. I saw him there. Oh. Whoa. And you, you wait, hold on a second. You were like in the same room as Dave Chang and you didn't get him on our podcast? What the <laughs> fuck, Jamie? Well, yeah, because I'm only working and I'm just going to run right up to him and be like, hey, I do a little Dave, 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 come here. Yeah, that's how Quick it's going. Quick sec, come here, come here. Yeah, 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 no, sorry, no, it's cool, it's cool. Have you ever listened cool. to his podcast? His podcast is really good, actually. I have not. No? It's really good. You should check it out. I will, um, I will. Anyways, I'm really excited for that because I love, I love the Momofuku brand. They've been in Toronto for years and yeah. I'm very excited to see them. I wish Major yeah. Domo was coming here as well. So hopefully they do well and then they'll bring that as well. Yeah. That's his LA restaurant. Yeah. Um, Eater just punched out a thing where they're talking about the rise of non-alcoholic cocktails. And as a bar manager and as well, both of you are basically bar managers for your, your teams, do you feel a certain pressure now with that whole growth of that kind of industry or I don't, I don't know, not industry, but growth of that market yeah uh no i don't feel any pressure at all i it's always been a part of our programming of botanist i put on i, I re when i when i went on to, when i came on a botanist uh i rejigged the, the menu a little bit and put them kind of front and center and really focused on doing things that weren't like the uh sugar bombs which i think a lot of free spirit cocktails do mm-hmm. uh, i don't I, I think it's just an opportunity more than anything i'm, I'm excited uh, to give somebody a cocktail, whether or not it has alcohol. Um, and we have some really neat ones as well. Uh, it actually blows me away how many we sell. You know, a lot of our prep is dedicated to free spirit cocktails. And, really? Yeah, because yeah, we run through that downstairs as well. I mean, we have like four, I think we sell a ton of them. Yeah, I, I think it's a missed opportunity for anybody that doesn't put the same kind of thought into it. Especially, I mean, you've got Seedlip uh, is a pretty interesting product. Uh, Sheringham, did you see that Sheringham is doing a, a, a non-alcoholic distilled spirit now as well? I saw that, wow. yeah. Making it local. So, cool. okay, you mentioned Seedlip. What, what, is, what is the process 
for how do they take the alcohol out? Because it it in terms of viscosity and like like mouthfeel, it tastes like like a liqueur. So for anybody out there that doesn't liqueur, know, what is Seedlip? It's a non-alcoholic spirit, essentially, right? From I mean, I don't I don't I don't know the technical uh, nuances around it, but I'm assuming it, it's you're not you're not actually you're not actually uh, infusing anything alcoholic to begin with, right? So right. They're 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 doing you know really strongly steeped uh, water essentially, I think, and then uh, and then distilling that. So it's not like they're de-alcoholizing anything. It's it's their their it's whole process is is, yeah. is spirit free and and having awesome. that real like intensity of flavor they have. Have you okay? So have you tried anything of the products? Yeah, we yeah. have. Because uh, I know they're mandated now for Fairmont because we have our fame training. People listening, we have our annual or biannual uh, cocktail training. Imagine having to do fame training. And I, I had to do it. Oh, man. Yeah. So we have ours next week. <laughs> uh, and what is the acronym? Sorry. I don't know. I have no idea. An awesome Mickey awesome. experience. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> New name for the podcast. Or? It is that. It, well, it's changed now, actually, because we're under a core now. So it's a different, it's not called fame anymore. It's called something else, I believe. Shame. Shame. That's shame. Exactly. That's- Can we change our podcast to that? Fucking awesome Mickey experience. Holy yeah. shit. That'd be so good. Totally, man. <laughs> that's my band name when I when I quit this fucking nine to five bullshit and start a band. Um so but the like obviously I've seen the different flavor combinations, but so they taste fine, they're good. Yeah, they're really cool. cool. I mean, so I have one on on the botanist menu, put it on before it was mandated. Uh, I call it the non hatton. So mm. they have like a spice. They have so they have what the garden one. It's like really like fresh and gardeny. They have a, I think it's called Grove. It's like really citrusy and a little bit of ginger. And then the the spice one is kind of like dark uh, baking spices and stuff like that. I feel like anybody listening can have a drinking. Uh, anybody listening can have a have a, a drinking challenge from whenever I say baking spices, you can have a you know, drink. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> they're all they're all interesting sure. for sure. It all depends on how you use them. I use also use them. I just recently did the Tojo's cocktail menu, um, and I use the Garden one. Uh, actually, the Garden and the Grove. I use both. Uh, the Garden one is crazy. It's like biting into a bell pepper with like English peas being thrown at your face. That that one is that one is probably my favorite because it's awesome. so unique. Uh, that's I, it's cool, man. Like. I think that's really really interesting. No, I mean it's it's a it's I, yeah, a growing like, it's a growing market share. I think, like you said, I think as a bar team or a restaurant or a bar anywhere, if you're not taking the uh, taking the, the merits to kind of expose yourself and create a great non call pro- program, I think you're missing out on a big opportunity. I think, like you said, you can nowadays you can go and get zero proof cocktails that taste just as good as Gregor cocktails. You probably won't even notice. Yeah. Totally. And I think that's a um, I think a, like. You know, a lot of people talking about, you know, people are drinking less and stuff like this. So I think it's very exciting. So I'm all for it. For sure. I think it's 100%. also just speaks to like the kind of inclusivity um, that we're trying to focus on now yeah. in, in Canadian hospitality. Right. Yeah. Like you don't want to have that, you know, five guys come in and one guy doesn't drink and everyone gets a cocktail. And then one, you're like, oh, I can give you a Coke. And yeah. Guy feels or like a Shirley Temple. Or yeah. And, I can, and then yeah. he feels like I'm kind Classic. of out of place. I mean, I could give him a Shirley yeah. Temple. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's good. Uh, and then the last thing is uh, Van Mag just put out a thing where they're, they asked their editors to give them their favorite Canadian beer. And Neil McLennan picked one from Big Rock, which I thought was kind of interesting. I think they were trying to be a little bit more nostalgic. 
I'm kind of curious. Neil, of the show. Yeah, we love Neil. And uh, I'm kind of curious. They were trying to be more nostalgic. Uh, one of them picked Blue Buck. Was it, was it the was it the trad? Traditional no, it wasn't the trad. He said he said that I mean, he I loved trad. A lot of that yeah, I know. Tra- tra- he said he loved trad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said he loved <laughs> trad, but he said it in his mind it hasn't aged as well as his Grass- memories of it. No, he picked. Um, yeah, which one he picked? Warthog. No. I just keep naming. Yeah, uh, I can probably. That's actually all I know. But then the, uh, the one of the other editors picked Blue Buck, and then one of the other ones picked. Uh, I can't remember. Interesting. Anyways. So like criteria is like kind of like nostalgia. Yeah, kind of something that influence. So what I was curious to pick what year year two. Oh, I'll let the guests go first. It's a. If I'm can I can I say two? Is that cool? Sure. It's got to be Canadian beer. And it's got to be yeah, something. Sure. I growing up in the in the in the prairies. I gotta say uh, Pilsner. No, he's like, gonna say Pilsner. Of course he was. Of course. I mean, yeah. like that branding is amazing. The branding's amazing. It's can, it's yeah. it's probably the one of the best cans I've ever seen and. You know, my brother and I always just refer to it as vitamin P. You know, like having a vitamin P deficiency is, is really dangerous. <laughs> uh, but if I'm speaking about uh, about something that I'm actually like will drink on a regular basis and be really excited about, it's Le Trois Mousquetaires um, Baltic Porter. It's like a smoked porter, and it, the first time I had it, absolutely Not blew my mind. people know about that beer, actually. It's it's it like it's from Quebec. Uh, it's. I, I think hands down my favorite Canadian beer, just in terms of styles. Like, yeah, smoky, uh, dark porter, but not too rich is oh mouthfeel is amazing. Ugh. We actually featured that beer on our tenth episode of my other podcast. Yeah, Shout out. yeah. Shout out to Tristan. All right, what's we yours? loved it. We got really drunk. Hmm? What's yours? Uh, like recently, like doesn't, when I was growing up, or doesn't, doesn't matter. Well, I mean, not favorite, to, piggy, not to piggyback on beer. Jeff's, but we like I've always had a really strong connection with um, with Unibrew. Um, and their Blanche de Chambly is like a beer that I've, I've, I've grown up with because it was actually one of the first beers that you saw in a bomber, a 750 mil bomber. Cause they were it's cheap been back around in the day. Forever. Yeah, totally. They were like high alcohol too. Had maybe a few too many kokanees this yeah. week. Let's branch out. I'm put it down always, the boons. It was always Unibrew. Um, so I would probably say Unibrew, um, maybe the Fin du Monde, maybe. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Classic. Their, uh, their um, Belgian triple. Is that like 10% or something like that? It's almost nine, nine point eight or something like that. It's a, it's a beast. Um, and then growing up or like, it doesn't matter now, whatever, whatever. So many beers now. What would you, I can't like, for, you already asked me this. I'm the wrong person to ask. Yeah, I'm, it has I'm, to be Canadian. I'm a wino. So I, I would say if it has to be Canadian, then it would be a fan If it has to be just like any one, uh, it would always be mirror pond from Deschutes because that beer yeah. to me, when I was first just getting into those kind of flavors, yeah. Mirror Pond was the one along with American, Sierra Nevada whatever, that oh. were the sort of like the, the ones you could find on a regular basis. Like, that's, not Canadian. Fuck. Huh? That's, not, that's not Canadian. I know. That's why I said it's ca- I threw a caveat at you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. For me, I mean, for me, for the longest time, if I drank beer, it was always Guinness. So I, it's hard for me to kind of, I'm, I'm over the last couple of years uh, is when no, I really sorry, got into Guinness. Is, is that Canadian? No, it's not. Oh, okay. What I'm just trying to say is I didn't really I drink it was Regina, Canadian. no? <laughs> it's probably brewed for me. It is yeah. But I didn't drink Canadian beer it's up the until the beer out like, here. That's what they say, right? <laughs> oh, Crescent, BC. I didn't drink Canadian beer up until like recently, like last couple. Why else? You're not really a big beer drinker. No, but I mean, if I do drink, if it's if I was going to be like an iconic beer, it'd probably be Fat Tuck. Fat Tuck. Ah, yeah. Fat Tuck's classic. Fat Tuck would be the one I'd probably go for. If I had it all the way in Newark, New Jersey. Now, I had a guest in my bar showed me a picture. He takes pictures of all his um, favorite IPAs he's had, and he lives in uh, Newark. And, Sounds like uh, an interesting guy. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, he was—he saw it on our taps. He's like, "Is that Fat Tug Driftwood IPA?" I'm like, "Yeah." And he showed me a picture, and congratulations to Driftwood getting all the way on the East Coast. Driftwood's amazing. All right, we're gonna throw a couple questions at him, and we'll be done. All right, all right. Jeff, if you could work for work in any Vancouver restaurant or bar, which one would it be? Uh, you asked me this question already, and I th- I'm going to continue with the same answer. It's not a restaurant; it's a 
the floating Chevron gas station <laughs> in Cole Harbor. I think it's like one of my favorite places in Can- in Canada, to be honest. Like, I want to just, I just want to know like what's going on there. Like, do they have gum? Can you get chips there? Like, has it been robbed? Uh, How do you get to work? Like, you have like amazing. You need a hover, yeah, you need a hover car to. They definitely have a car, yeah, for sure. So yeah, sorry. I mean, there's a lot of amazing restaurants and, and stuff there, but like, come on, floating Chevron gas station. All right, <laughs> get, get at me, floating Chevron gas there. station. All right, so if you're gonna, if you and Natisha are gonna go for dinner tonight, where are you guys gonna go? Any place? Uh, actually, I was thinking about this in in this morning. Uh, I think we'll go to Ugly Dumpling. Oh, I gotta go there. I drove. I bike by there yesterday. If Mike talks about it, and he says it's amazing. So good, is and it good? and you know the the price point is unreal. The wine list is awesome. Uh, it changes on the regular. They have a chawanmushi dish with uh, with pine mushrooms. That uh, so good. Yeah, I think that's where I'm gonna go. Um, favorite wine style. <sighs> uh, I have to get one nerdy wine question. In. Yeah, it no, makes me feel good. good. I mean, oh man, that's tough. I think uh, like Chablis is always gonna be gonna be there, but um, you know, sherry does it count? Yeah, that works. I think I think like. Champagne is around there too, but probably I, on the regular, like I drink, I drink more Chablis than I think anything else. Really? I think it's kind of cool. Very nice high acid, which pairs well with a lot of things. I mean, when I'm, and especially when I'm drinking wine, usually like before, like while I'm getting dinner ready to go and like maybe have a salad to start out with and that's right at the beginning. Yeah. We're going to give him one more question here. Should I ask him this question? I might get in trouble for this one. The Grand Sini question. Yeah. <laughs> you have a favorite. You can ask. Grand, he doesn't have to answer. You have a favorite Grand Sini story. I have a favorite Grand. <laughs> you're trying to. You're trying to. Trying to get it out of me. Don't have to, Jeff. Yeah. Here, here's what I'll say. This is going out into the public sphere. Yeah. So you know. I mean, Grand Sini is a new father. Grant, Grant. I think we shouted him out. I think on the last episode. But yeah. So if we're gonna give, buddy. if we're gonna give any context here, Grant Sini is the creative beverage director for the Fairmont Pacific Rim. He is the global. He's like global ambassador for Diageo. Basically, he 2014, 2014 uh, Canadian, Canadian bartender champion. of the year. Yep. Came fourth, which is okay. It's not yeah, second. That's fine. Come second. <laughs> good friend of the podcast, uh, and he's also a good mentor for you. He's, he's a really, he's really awesome. good friend as well, and he is uh, unabashedly the reason why I work at Bonus as well. So mm-hmm. I'm, I have nothing but love for Grant, and yeah, newborn, newborn, uh, beautiful baby Isla. Uh, shout out Vic because Grant was there, but Vic was the, the one really doing the, yeah. the heavy lifting. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, like Grant, uh, Grant's been somebody I've I've known for a while and, and really, really admired how he's how he's progressed in his career. And you know, he yeah, he came fourth in in uh, 2014, uh, beat out by Charles Jolie, who's an amazing bartender. And um, I think he really put Canada on the map. And put us in the right direction to, to you know eventually win it with with Kate, and come second with myself and, and everybody else's success is, is a lot based on him. And uh, we haven't touched on it really, but I I was in Amsterdam with him uh, in uh, in June, and I know there's a lot of stories that I can tell about that. Um, but you know the one thing that blows me away is Grant is um, Grant's been traveling a lot, right? Like he's like traveling bartender for sure. But I think he is like maybe the worst traveler. <laughs> like, I think he's like always got some issue with his luggage or like, you know, missing a flight or whatever. And so like when we were flew to um to Amsterdam, 
we were put together on our seats, which uh, rarely oh, seems to nice. Lovely. Held hands. But he, uh, I, I think it was because I, I booked ahead of time and I like got a window seat. I prefer the window. I like to like lean and, and nap and, and so on. But uh, Grant didn't. Uh, and so he got the middle seat. Uh, I hate the middle seat. I mean, no, nobody likes the middle seat. No, no. What are you going to do? What's what's the merits of the middle seat? No, it's not. No, there's like none. like touching other people's thighs? Like, I mean, that's probably it. And then sometimes people like don't understand the, the armrest rule. It's like you have, everyone has an armrest. No, but the, one uh, is optional and you float in between the people. No, but, but like, the etiquette. The middle of, person never gets the armrest. No, the middle, the middle person gets supposed to get both armrests in the middle. Oh, I like that. So the way it works is you, if you're on the aisle on both sides, if you're in the window, you get the one on the left. If you're on the aisle, yeah. you get the one on the right. I'm all aisle. It's got to be If aisle. you're in the middle, you're just, you're if just you're in the middle, you get, if you're in the middle, you get, out properly. but if you're in the middle, you get both. at you. Yeah. I don't know. Nobody likes the middle, but Grant was in the middle. Uh, also didn't like the middle, go figure. But uh, there was a guy on the aisle seat that was like quite large and like very uh, not well kept, we'll say. <laughs> so, uh, but also like had like some sort of gastric distress at the same time. <laughs> and and uh, I think that I've never seen Grant like so angry in his life uh, than that. He, uh, yeah. But then, and then, you know, counter to that as well, when we flew back, um, have you guys been, have you flown through Frankfurt before? I have not. I have. Big My brother lives in Berlin. Shout out to Chase, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Berlin. Yeah. Shout out to Checkpoint Charlie, right? Cool. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, um, so we're flying back and, and Frankfurt is like a massive, massive airport, right? Like you have to, get off a plane and you get onto a bus and then they take a bus and it's like a 15 minute bus ride. And then you get in and then like, sometimes you have to take a second bus and, uh, you know, Grant, who anybody's ever heard him speak before is like wildly Australian. Um, and I think that it's, uh, it's like imbued in their culture, I think to travel, right? Like I think if every Australian moved home, they'd probably triple their population. Yeah, sure. Especially from Whistler. Oh, yeah. probably. So you'd think that they would have it like on lockdown, right? Grant, uh, being the sleepy boy that he was, we had won uh, bowls around the world, so you know, we, we partied for sure. Uh, Mickey, I don't know if you saw our, our giant trophy, but I'm sure you did. I did, yeah. It's literally, it looks like the UEFA Cup. It's, it's massive. Massive. We drank um, Geneva out of it, which was like the worst experience. <laughs> <laughs> I like Geneva. It's a really cool spirit. But to drink like five ounces of it at a time, yeah. Uh, not good. I think the three of us, myself, Grant, and Max, uh, we when we won, we drank out of the trophy. Uh, I definitely vomited aggressively immediately after. <laughs> but like, it's a thing where you like, you take a you take a sip. Like, I don't know if you guys ever had this happen where you like take a shot and your body's like, I don't want that. I don't want that shot. And then you just like barf up a single ounce. And you're like, oh, okay. Has that ever happened to you? I've never no. I've never thrown up from drinking. Oh, whatever, Jamie. Fine. <laughs> Not all of us are perfect. That's happened to me. And that's exactly what happened with like this, just like four ounces or whatever. Just like, whoop. Okay. Well, that's good. My body's like, that's not, that's not for us. Everything else. Cool. Do whatever you want. And so I, I did that same, I did that. Grant also did the same thing in, in the bushes of the poor, uh, the poor restaurant that we were, that we were working in. Go figure. Um, but yeah, on the way back, um, we were not in the best shape. Uh, we definitely should have missed our flight, but that giant trophy came in handy because I was carrying it as a carry on. I had no idea. Like it's huge. Literally. It's like three feet. Yeah. 
it's huge. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. And I go up to the counter. I'm like, what help? Please, what is this thing that I, what should I do with it? And the desk agent was like, oh, just carry it on. Fine. But like, she was like dealing with us. And we were like, definitely, it was like 45 minutes before you can't get on the flight. We're definitely within that, like, can't get on the flight mode. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you know, we just, we just closed boarding. She like looks at me with the trophy. She's like, "What is that?" I'm like, "Oh, we just won like the world's best bar team trophy." She looks at it. And she looks at Grant, <laughs> <laughs> and I look at Grant. The world looks at Grant, uh, and and uh, she's like, "Oh, let me see what I can do." And she like calls ahead. And she's like, "You got like ten minutes." We like whipped through security, got on the flight. It was like Amsterdam to Frankfurt. Uh, Grant's like asleep. We're all asleep. Uh, we get off the flight, get onto the bus get on to like uh there's a giant escalator and and i look at granny just looks and like taps his pockets and he looks at me and as, I, as i'm going up the elevator with these like eyes of like oh no and he'd like left his passport on the flight no <laughs> left his passport oh, and i'm like on the escalator and i'm looking down like hand reaching out uh and uh yeah he left his left it there and poor guy like I mean, these kind of things I feel like happened to him on the regular, but <laughs> the poor guy, I mean, Vic, Vic was still pregnant at the time and he, he was literally flying home for like less than 12 hours to spend time with her before he was going to, to Fairmont corporate event in New York. So he missed his flight uh, and then had to catch the next one. I think he was home for like maybe four or five hours or something like no, that. It's not that terrible then. I mean, no, like he was, he was home for four hours and had to fly away. Oh, again. gotcha. Yeah. That is so, terrible actually. So, I mean, all those things together and, and listening to the stories about, um, about him in, in other, in other countries, like he just, I don't know if it's the worst luck or I think everything else in his life seems to work out really well for yeah, him. You can so, say that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, uh, traveling is just, it's just not, not his strong suit. Yeah. Some people travel better than others. I think I almost actually, uh, when I was going to Portland, one year, uh, I forgot my passport and had to turn around and go back. Oh, but, really? That sucks. Yeah. No, their Traveling daughter is, sucks, man. Their daughter is adorable and so cute. Yeah. Yeah, she's got this cute tuft of dark hair. And, so much hair. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, she's, she's, yeah, no, he's, he's doing very well. We're very we proud you, of you, Grant. So, yeah, yeah, love you, Grant. Uh, on that note, um, Jeff, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for today. Thanks for getting me tipsy. Yeah. Hey. Yes, appreciate uh, it. tipsy this afternoon. Uh, everyone, that's uh, Jeff Savage there. If you would like to try some of his beverages and see him in action, do head down to Botanist at the Fairmont Pacific Rim here in Vancouver. He is going to be a man on the road a lot this coming year, doing a lot of stuff for Diageo. So we're very excited for a lot of the prospects coming your way. Congratulations to that as well. Anybody out there that's interested in doing the uh, Diageo world-class stuff, they probably start up again in January. Am I correct? Yeah. 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 We'll also be doing uh, some studio sessions throughout Canada as well. So even if you're not interested in competing, there's a lot to learn. Okay. So if anybody out there is interested in doing some Diageo stuff or you want to get into competing, um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that if you're in, a, in most major cities in Canada, probably Diageo is probably going to stop by and try to find you. So be excited. I grew up in Saskatoon and I know a lot of great Saskatoon bartenders are coming out of that city. I mean, just from Calgary. So uh, smaller cities can do their part. And Shout out small cities. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, do look for me and Mickey at the Vancouver Podcast Festival coming up next week on November 7th to the 10th. I'm going to be speaking at the Vancouver Public Library again. At 2 p.m. on speaking. I know who wants about to listen? podcasts. Who wants, who wants to speaking about fuck? speaking? Who wants to listen? I know it's funny. They're like experts, and I'm like experts. I'm like, cool. I don't know about that one. Anyways. Okay, and also just if you want to have a little giggle, just go to the Van Pod website 
and just go to schedule and go to events and panels and just look at me and Jamie's fucking photos. They're pretty good. And look at everyone else's professional headshots. It's so funny. Just just go if you want to have a little a little pretty cheeky good. laugh. So I'm speaking on Friday, November 8th at the Vancouver Public Library at 2. Mickey's on Sunday, November Sunday, 10th at 11 a.m. So do check us out if you guys want to come down. We are going to be doing another episode this week with another guest that we're very excited to have on. We're calling this Seconds Week, and you'll know more about that. When did we decide on that? I did. You're calling it that. Yeah, I'm basically calling that. Okay. So also one thing we should mention, Jamie, uh, is that on November 2nd, it is uh, the uh, Barb Coates, uh, who is the executive director of Dan's Legacy Charity. They're doing their annual dinner um, uh, on November 2nd in, in Surrey. And I just want to mention, uh, we did unfortunately not have a chance to air the live, or sorry, the live to tape uh, episode uh, with the Chefs in the Hood. Shoutouts uh, if you guys are listening. And uh, the audio quality just wasn't good enough. We couldn't do it, but we got a chance to talk to Barb and her husband about their uh, charity. And uh, we just I just want to mention their uh, event that's going on. If you want to help them out, uh, you can donate to Dan's Legacy. Just go to uh, danslegacy.com um, uh, and you can donate. They do really great work. I know that Bruce is doing, uh, Bruce and TJ are doing the whole menu and it's all not reclaimed food, but a repurposed, or what do you call it? Re- not repurposed food, but it's all basically food from that, that was going to go bad, essentially. So it's a really awesome thing. And all the charities go to help um, at-risk youth through the uh, facilities of the culinary world. So really, really cool. So check that out and do it if you want. And as always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Luminary, and we'll find you another day. Thank you. Bye.